Welcome to Glossonomia, conversations about the sounds of speech with your hosts, Phil Thompson and me, Eric Armstrong. Hey, Phil, how are you today? I'm very well, thanks. Great, great. Today we're talking about a vowel sound again. Uh, For those people who are joining us for the first time here on Glossonomia, what we do is we go back and forth between one episode we look at a vowel sound and then the next episode we look at a consonant sound. Or we try to do that. We try to, yes, busted, I have to say, that uh, we set out when we started our last chunk to try to do three episodes about um, three vowel sounds that we, we would define by the lexical sets trap, bath, and palm. And, well, this is our fourth episode. So... Um, yes, you could say that we uh, it's uh, one for each set and a fourth one for all the complicated interrelatedness of those sets. Uh, there's just a lot of material because th- these are sets that are very vexing, certainly for my students. They, uh, they can be vexing, I think. Uh, uh, the, you know, having four hours or so about these things perhaps could be helpful to some people and that's our justification for it. <laughs> we're sticking to it. Good. Um, so today we're focusing on the lexical set uh, known as palm, uh, P-A-L-M, palm. Um, now, interesting, the, these lexical sets, of course, come from a series of books, a, a three-volume book, I guess you could say, called yeah. Accents of English by J.C. Wells. And uh, it's a f- fairly old book now. Uh, what's the date on it, Bill? Do you know? Uh, 1982 is the copyright date. Yeah. 1982. Um, so we're coming up on 30 years in, yeah, in yeah. another year. Um, and uh, uh, John Wells, who writes a, a blog, has talked a little bit about... Yeah the process of making lexical sets. And one of the things that he said is that the palm lexical set name is one of the more challenging names, um, and that perhaps he might have chosen the, the word father as the lexical set name. Yeah, and I think the arguments against that might give us a little bit of an insight into how he's picking these words. And so this is, again, a redefinition of lexical sets. So if you're tired of hearing about that, you can think about something else for a few moments. Uh, (laughs) You know, I I hate the fact that my iPod has a 30 seconds back button and not a 30 seconds forward button. That's an upgrade I would like to have. So if you could imagine having that button, you don't want to hear about lexical sets, 30 seconds forward for us. So the words are meant to describe categories of sounds that are, generally speaking, pronounced with the same vowel. Simple enough explanation. And he chooses these words to represent that category of sounds. So I suppose one of the virtues in choosing a label for the category is that it should pretty stably be in that pronunciation, in the two reference accents that he uses to concoct this system, which are RP and General American. Uh, There's a little wiggle room built into really both of those definitions, so uh, it's not an exact science. 
He's also trying to pick a word in which the stressed syllable has the vowel in question. And so generally speaking, what he's chosen to do is to do monosyllables. Mm -hmm. He's also been trying to get those vowels checked immediately after by a consonant, usually by an alveolar closure, uh, although palm has a bilabial closure. Uh, what are some of the other uh, reasons that he has for... Well, I do think that it, it's helpful that if in uh, most of the um, accents that he looks at across the other volumes of accents of English, that that chosen word isn't an exception to the rule. Yes. Um, and the, one of the problems with choosing father is that it is an exception to the rule for Irish English. And because that's such an important uh, accent group, yeah. um, he, he thinks that that... that is enough of uh, uh, a, a problem to make it a bad choice of word. However, as um, my su students certainly complain, palm is a problem word because for, for them, I will say for us, it doesn't really fit into that category because my pronunci pronunciation is a slightly rounded palm and a little bit of a velarized L afterwards, palm, mm. palm. And sometimes I will even lift the tip of my tongue up and put an L in there, but I'm not really conscious of having an L in there. Interesting. Uh, but the pronunciation that I think Wells has in mind, and that he perhaps sees as more ubiquitous than it really is, is palm. I palm. Th think of the, the pomegranate juice that is very right. expensive. Right, known as, known as palm, exactly. E-O-M. Exactly. And so... Uh, for some American speakers, those would be homophones or homophones. Uh, palm of your hand and pomegranate juice. Uh, right. My wife has the last name Palmquist, so I hear her repeating it all the time. She's from the northern Iowa, Minnesota area. And uh, she definitely puts that L in there, palm. Palm. And, and uh, you know, there are other words with palm in it, like uh, the, the soap for doing your dishes, palm olive, yes. which is originally was made with oils from palm and olive. Uh, and uh, uh, it surprised me because in my mind, palm and olive, uh, you would pronounce that product palm olive, not palm olive. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, that's a, that surprised me. Um, and my son goes to a school um, known as Palmerston, and it was named after a uh, Duke of Palmerston, I believe, uh, who, who I, I believe they pronounced the L. But Well, uh, that's fascinating. I would be surprised. Because I would imagine uh, that a New Yorker, let's say, who says palm, palm of my hand, uh, might then say Palmerston. I'm, I'm actually very curious, and I, I know that some folks who listen to this podcast actually have that as a native accent, so please let us know. Sure, that would be great. So again, it's a question of stability within the lexical set, and so the, the label that we've got that we're stuck with is palm. We might think that father is better because for North American speakers it's a little bit more stably ah. Uh, I suppose spa would be okay, or bra, but people do pronounce those in different ways as well. Right. Uh, I think, and I don't really recall if Wells mentions this or not, that uh, he's avoiding 
non-English words as lexical set names. So the word right. spa, although it's been in English for quite some time, may be disqualified on those grounds. I'm not entirely sure. Because it was a borrowed word initially. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, and the other interesting thing about father is that it has retained its ah vowel. We have words like rather and gather spelt the same yeah. and probably have the same kind of root pronunciation initially, uh, but uh, have uh, not undergone the same changes or have undergone a different change, perhaps. Yeah. I certainly uh, grew up saying rather to rhyme with father, um, though I uh, was teased about it when I worked in the U.S., so I started to say rather instead. It's very instead. confusing to think about how the phonological processes are working when there are also spelling pronunciations or cultural influences on how we might pronounce things. You know, people will stand by their guns and say, there's a reason why it's supposed to be pronounced in this way, but it's just yes. supposed to be pronounced that way because that's the way you've internalized it as your model, your inner dictionary. Right. I suppose the, some people have the benefit of history, um, that there is a sense that historically this word has been pronounced a certain way in the past hundred years or going back and even further, um, and that, that some people will use that as an argument. Um, that's a great argument for traditional pronunciations. Uh, the fact that lots of young folk pronounce it different uh, yeah. doesn't mean those young folk are wrong. Well, if you look at the sort of, uh, well, let's call them folk linguistics discussions that happen across the internet, people. How diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I participate in heated conversations about thing that, things I know nothing about in other fields, so I'm A OK with that. Uh, but people on the internet say, have page after page of conversation about how to pronounce a specific word. And they're very heated because each person believes that their way is the correct way. Yes. So uh, let's uh, pull it back again to uh, the lexical set category and how we got there. Oh, here's a, a point I wanted to make, which is a reference to a previous one of these episodes. We could keep doing episodes about this, these sounds because we forget what we said in the previous episode, so I'm trying to avoid that. Uh, but there was something that we brought up in talking about the difference between trap and bath, and that was the process, the phonological process that Wells calls prefricative lengthening, that mm. some sounds that were in the ah category sort of developed other isotopes and started to shift towards a lengthened ah sound, so bath changed from quantity lengthening to quality shifting and became bath. And you can imagine the same process happening with rather, gather, father. Uh, sure. That, and we know that these things happened sort of at this crux when American English split off from British English. And so those differences are sort of fossilized there. However, all, we all say father, as, as you mentioned, that uh, that one didn't change, whereas gather definitely changed, or rather, gather definitely didn't change. Father changed mm -hmm. for everyone. Rather only changed for some people. And so the older, right. I would assume, rather pronunciation is still very common in the United States. I think I've got the history of that correct. Interesting. I wonder which word gets said more. 
They're all fairly common words. Yes, I think that actually, well, I was going to say father, uh, but there's so many other versions for father that you don't have to use it a lot. The concept's very common. Uh, we all got one. Uh, I, I wonder where one would find that. Uh, the list of top 1,000 words or something. Uh, yes, uh, surely that's available. Uh, but I, d I have no idea. Uh, Google do your work. Exactly, exactly. Um, okay, so uh, l let's talk a little bit about the three sections of the palm group that yes. John Wells gives us. Um, he, he divides the list of words that fit under the palm heading uh, into a, a, an A group, a B group, and a group he calls prime. Um, a and B um, are uh, groups that are pretty much pronounced ah yes. in most accents. The prime group is pronounced ah pretty consistently in RP speakers and with quite a bit of variation between a trap pronunciation and a palm pronunciation by general American speakers. Is that, am I capturing yeah, the I gist of it? Yeah, that's exactly right. The, the first two are similar in that they are very stably pronounced as ah. The, the only difference really between A and B is their origin. And you can see that kam, pam, sam, bra, ma, etc. are good old English words. And then the B set, which essentially comprises foreign loan words, uh, foreign proper nouns, really. Uh, and then that final prime group is pretty much half and half between foreign words. Uh, no, I think most of them are foreign words. And uh, it's interesting to consider why they would be more variable. But if you think about uh, country names in the news, Pakistan and Afghanistan, uh, there was a little bit of interesting talk. Uh, uh, Obama got, Obama got <laughs> knocked <laughs> for saying Afghanistan. I think he only did the ah on the last syllable, and yet that was considered appeasement. Uh, that, that, that the people who were accusing him of appeasement thought he should say Afghanistan. Yes. Now, Is that I correct? have to say that's my impression, and... Uh, uh, in this day and age, I'm sure that there are websites devoted to that controversy. Uh, yes. But you can see how loaded it is. If I choose mm -hmm. to use a vowel closer to the original language pronunciation, uh, then I'm reaching out to them. But I have to say that's the American tendency, that uh, America... It, it is now. It yeah. is now. I, I suspect 100 years ago it would have we would have said the opposite. Yes. But that's our political nature these days is to be... But I think it's about separation, you know? I, my impression is that the tendency for British speakers of English is to pronounce things in an English way, not in a foreign way. That is, to make distinction between the... English pronunciation of a French word and a French pronunciation of a French word. We're different, mm. we're speaking English, and it's separate. Uh, if we take a word like Gandhi, uh, 
it sounds to me that we're more likely to hear Gandhi in RP. Would you say in Canadian English as well? Uh, no, I think we'd hear Gandhi in, in Canada. Um, but part of that, I think, has to do with the time in which Gandhi was, uh, you know, he was in the news. Um, and that at that time, British speakers very much anglicized yeah, words. Yeah. However, that said, um, Brits frequently call him Obama, uh, far more than North Americans would call him Obama. So um, do you think that that's an attempt to North Americanize the pronunciation? Being the American president, we should do something American to it? I, I have no idea <laughs> why. It, you know, I, I wouldn't want to guess, though part of me goes that there is a certain sort of cultural intolerance an unwillingness to bend to Obama's pronunciation. Surely the English way to say that yes. would be Obama. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, I do take it and, as a perverse uh, that, ignorance, actually, what I hear. Yes. Yes. Or, or sort of uh, intentional ignorance, yes. in a way. Because they're, they're ca people can't have heard it pronounced Obama. Uh, yes. They, 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 can't, they can't argue that they, they have never been exposed to that pronunciation. Yes. Oh, I'm sure that Gordon Brun would not say that, or Tony Blyer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, the people do speak English over there. They ought to be able to figure it out. Yes, and they, they actually do listen to a fair bit of North American media as Indeed. well. We so. keep making it, so... Yes, and, and inundating their airwaves with well, it. Well, and again, that um, gets me back to this point, which I know is folk psychology I'm, I'm, or folk sociology. I'm coming up with a pinhead theory about this. But it feels to me that people make these sort of, uh, you could call them mispronunciations or you can call them anglicizing. Uh, maybe those are synonyms. Uh, but it's an attempt to make a marked separation between the way the other people say it and the way we ought to say it. That... Uh, uh, I was well. I, let's talk about this, you know, a little bit in terms of. Sometimes there are sounds in words that aren't in English, and I think we can say that it, one can justify making choices that when a word is Afghanistan, that the part of that yes. word, not a part of English, that it should go to something like Afghanistan. Right. right? What is the closest? Um, there, there's phone that here. person. Right, yeah. There's that person in the news these days whose whose name starts with GB from Africa. Yeah. Um, do you know what I'm uh, talking about? I, I'm blanking on what his name is. No, I'm not. I um, don't have it. Yeah, me either. Uh, but uh, you're either going to choose to say Gaba or Ba. Yeah. You're not going to have a, a, a co-articulation of G and B in a native English speaker without having a little... Uh, phonetics lesson at the start of every newscast. Yeah, so w when people are talking about Qatar, uh, they're not going to do the they're not going to do the uvular plosive there. That's that I totally understand. It's a different order of event though when the phoneme in question is kind of in between two phonemes that we really have. And so we might or, or it's one we do have, like Obama. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, an English speaker from England can't argue that they've never made an ah sound in their life. Exactly. So. But, they, but they can say that in English, as it's pronounced around the world, uh, ah and ah are 
in a confused, overlapping place, that the lexical set sets have some confusion, and so they might make a wrong choice. But you'd have to be pretty, as, as I say, perversely ignorant to not recall how Obama says Obama, or how every single American says Obama. Yes, I agree. Um, so uh, to review, getting back to our <laughs> <laughs> initially scheduled programming. Uh, I wonder why these last so long and why we have four episodes. I wonder, gosh. Hmm. Um, uh, so group A is native words. Yeah. And interestingly enough, John Wells lists all of them. Yes. Normally, when he makes a list, he's putting representative examples with all the different possible consonants that would follow that vowel. For the palm group, he writes every single example because there's so yeah, few. It, How many are there? Nine or something uh, like yes. that, Well, it's actually it a little bit longer because there's some that are sort of in this interjection class. So one, two, three, mm. four, five, six, seven, eight. 15, because we 15. have aha, aha, blah, hurrah, uh, which is cheating. <laughs> and he left out huzzah. Uh, yeah, why would he do that? He also has, shame, uh, shame. I think it's he has two that are doubles, because he has mm. mama and papa, which is also mama and papa. So depending ah. on how you pronounce it, they're, all four right. of them are, are palm words. I suppose m mama and papa is more of a general American pronunciation of it, and mama, papa, more of an RP pronunciation yeah. of the same and word. And in fact, I, I would certainly expect to see mama and papa sometimes spelled with an O to indicate that it's part of the lot set. Uh, right. That's interesting. Uh, but generally speaking, that is a tiny, tiny little category of native English palm words. That doesn't mean that we don't use the ah sound very frequently. It just means that in the Venn diagram of overlapping possibilities, the part that isn't part of the other groups of ah sounds, like lot, like... Uh, if you're English saying start. Exactly. Um, or uh, for some people, like in Canada, saying thought. Yeah. Um, yeah, all, all those, all those uh, sounds. So uh, that, that, that overlap is a very important part of, of this ah sound, uh, but the, the actual lexical set. So the way Wells describes this in his book, I think is beautifully said, the membership of this lexical set is unusual and difficult to circumscribe. Uh, that, to me, indicates a Venn diagram with not a beautifully arced little triangle, but a jagged little <laughs> remaining puzzle piece. Uh, mm. So in a way, you could say that palm is defined by its uh, not fitting into other groups. Uh, palm is the leftover. Mm. Um, yeah, I think when you look at the palm B group, what's the number for, for palm? Uh, 64. 60-something? 64. 64. And for those of you following so along in your hymnals, it's on page 144. <laughs> so 64B, which is the recent borrowings, or borrowings, depending on how you say that, um, the uh, uh, words in there, I find, are highly variable. I look at that list and I go, ah, really? Uh -huh. uh, are we talking about uh, 64B? B as much as prime. Mm. The prime is a very variable, I think. 
But for me, there are quite a few words within the B section that aren't ah, um, that they might might actually be ah, and that may, that may be partly to due to the nature of Canada that we have yeah. more ah sounds. Canada does have more ah. Uh, variations for these words that fit within well that's palm, fascinating because what uh, the, then even then the UK so does. in a way you could say that palm for Canadian English is further split yes I, I, I believe that's true uh, so yeah. I suppose we could say that well let's call that other set the drama words yes uh, yes the yes those drama words they're very dramatical um, things like pasta plaza drama Mazda aqua they're, they are definitely very ah uh, in Well, Canada. that's very important for us if we're uh, helping somebody to learn a Canadian accent, that uh, mm -hmm. you would really want to nail your... You would both want to be clear in circumscribing that split, but you would also be very cautious, as with the trap bath split, not to over-apply and put an ah somewhere where it really wouldn't be allowed. I agree. I wonder if Canadians or Oastrians say Ahura Mazda for the, the uncreated god. Uh, we'll have to go find some. <laughs> uh, the, the only uh, Zoroastrian I know is enough of a Persian that I would think she'd say Mazda with an intermediate yeah. A. Uh, so this list, this uh, what for wells is the unvariable list of palm words, 64b, essentially is words from German, Italian, uh, there's a good Irish word, arma, uh, schwa, which we've already discussed is Hebrew and uh, Yiddish, uh, Mali, Guatemala, marijuana, 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 ah, ah. I think I might round that a little bit. Uh, it's interesting. The, Perhaps coming out of exactly, the what exactly. of it, right? Marijuana. Uh, so those are words that, uh, generally speaking, are shared between RP and American English as stably palm. Uh, so if we're doing those accents, no worries. If we're doing Canadian, we want to be really careful about how we circumscribe that even more complex drama set. If we're doing uh, accents of these foreign languages where in many instances an intermediate A, as you say, is what's really the phoneme in question, neither a nor a, but a, then oftentimes you'll hear speakers of those languages in trying to deal with the complicated three-way split doing essentially free variation and not just doing ah everywhere or at everywhere, but really adjusting it based on what feels like it might be right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can get some... Can you think of an example? Uh, well, uh, there are so many that I'm numbed by it, but if I take uh, something off of this list, I wouldn't expect, let's say, uh, a an Italian speaker to say father rather than father, or a Russian speaker to say father rather than father. But what, what about something like, uh, uh, you know, bah uh, well, Baha'i, 
I, I put that as a schwa yes, exactly. instead of Baha'i. So out of uh, the 64... M- Malawi? Malawi might be one of those? The second vowel, Malawi? Uh, yeah, I actually, now that I've opened Malawi. my mouth and, and made this statement, I really find these, even in these other accents, the first two, palm A and B, to be incredibly stable, in, at least in my internal imagining of a variety of foreign accents that might be confused about it. They seem to all want to go towards an A. Even piano, the play it not forte, but piano, should that always be all? Do you ever say p- play a piano? Uh, I is Not the instrument, right? I the, always say it as piano. Yes. Piano. More always, piano. in all contexts. Pianissimo. Yeah. Of course, I yeah. don't say that very often. Right. It is a an Italian loanword, which is, I think, again, one of those... Uh, things where, because Italian uses an intermediate vowel, uh, and perhaps those are a little bit, we're a little bit more aware mm-hmm. of Italian because of the influence of the Italian-American community. But also, it, uh, in that, its musical context, it's still linked to an Italian culture, and, and we took the word for the instrument and made it into an English word. Yes. Uh, that is, those of us right. who say piano for the instrument and piano for the musical notation. Right. So it's really, in a way, two words. Yes, definitely. Definitely two words. Um, Yeah, but I do think that there are parts of the United States where uh, Italian loanwords, like The Sopranos, Mm -hmm. right? People talk about that TV show and might use their native pronunciation to say Sopranos, but on the show they always said The Sopranos. Right, they were not in the mafia; they were in the mafia. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, um, so that that, that uh, and perhaps that's uh, uh, East Coast Italian American sound. Yeah, it does. It does perhaps? actually sound to me. It seems to me that within an Italian community in the United States, uh, pronouncing Italian words in an English way. would be something necessary. I'm not speaking Italian, I'm speaking Mm. English, and I'm talking about these words in English. So I'm I'm a native English speaker, I have some Italian because of family reasons, but I'm gonna pronounce all words in English. It would be, uh, I wonder if that happens in in the Spanish community, in the Spanish-speaking community in the United States as well, that there's a, a strong distinction in people who are speaking English from birth to take all loan words from Spanish and have a distinct pronunciation for them. Uh, I'll have to put that on a list for a former student of mine who's bilingual. Mm. Well, my experience of my Canadian Italian students uh, is that almost, I can't think of a single one of them who is first generation. They're all second Mm -hmm. or third generation. Um, And they all say words that are Italian in of, in origin in a distinctly Italian kind of way that it's it's not it's not they're not speaking Italian they're definitely speaking English but it's far closer to Italian than their classmates who are just plain old vanilla so it seems uh, like we have two answers to that that there are different communities and different reasons to either maintain the original pronunciation or to anglicize it. It sounds a little weird to say anglicize when you're talking about Tony Soprano, but he's speaking English, so he's anglicizing. Mm. 
He is. He is. Englishizing. Yeah. <laughs> Englishing. That's a good verb. Uh, good. Well, um, now, uh, is there anything about the, that prime group that we need to talk about before we well, move we've on? Well, we've sort of dealt with it in, in talking about how Afghanistan and Pakistan are variable uh, in there being Afghanistan and Pakistan and uh, other versions. Uh, one that I think we might have mentioned in a previous episode, although it could have been the unrecorded episode, uh, and you know we oh, didn't we tell didn't. that story uh, we did a wonderful episode and we were much smarter than we are right now and uh, oh it was great we didn't say Never. um once kind of, angels were singing in the background that was a little bit of a problem but uh, my side uh, let me put it in as much of the passive voice as possible my side didn't record uh, that means I screwed something up uh, or I could say uh, to eliminate the passive voice I didn't record my side uh, I thought I did, but that was not true. So uh, we're resurrecting it now and making it better, I hope. Yes, even, even longer. longer. Uh, that's our one measure of, of value. <laughs> uh, so one of the things that at some point in our long, ongoing conversation we talked about uh, was a, a now not-so-recent controversy about a law being proposed in the state of Nevada uh, Mm-hmm. enforcing the pronunciation Nevada Nevada as the official pronunciation. And my reading of this and other, uh, some pundits were saying this, that it was an anti-foreigner legislation. Uh, just like S.I. Hayakawa, S.I., no, Senator Inouye, or was it Hayakawa, who proposed English as the uh, official language of California uh, several years ago. Uh, not that it was in danger at that point, but it's the official language. Uh, in this case, people were saying the official pronunciation should be something English, American, non-Spanish, that it's Nevada, not Nevada. Now, the state of Nevada, usually everyone there, as far as I understand, pronounces it Nevada. And the only people who pronounce it Nevada are outsiders from other states who are making an assumption about the pronunciation, like people who say Oregon instead of Oregon. Uh, Colorado instead of yeah, Colorado. Yeah, well, that's interesting because my internal model says Colorado, and and I can't hear in my head any Coloradans, Coloradans. I was corrected by a student once from Colorado who Terrific. said Colorado. So the, and that makes perfect sense on the same model, that if you're from the place... Yes. You're going to speak it in an English way. Uh, my mother uh, grew up in Pierre, South Dakota, which is spelled Pierre. And there are multiple examples right. of uh, these anglicized pronunciations of foreign place names as American place names. Like yes, Cairo instead exactly. of Cairo. Uh, or El Cader uh, instead of El Qadir. Uh, and mm. there are plenty of these... Uh, place names, and we could say that they exist in other places historically as well, but America is crawling, uh, because we had to come up with so many place names so fast, crawling with place names of other nations that we pronounce in an American way. So it makes perfect sense that you would say Nevada. What's interesting to me is that I suspect that there wasn't really much threat of people pronouncing Nevada as Nevada, but that it was essentially an anti-Spanish 
anti-immigrant, anti-brown people, frankly, uh, impulse mm. in some part of uh, Nevadan culture. Now, Phil, I'm, I'm not a Spanish speaker, and I know that your daughter is our resident expert on Spanish, uh, but would a Spanish person not use a more of an ah vowel yeah. for... Yeah, the like phoneme for, for a Spanish speaker is much more sort of halfway in between the intermediate A and the uh, A. Uh. You could imagine, and this is true for a lot of languages, that the vowel chart comes to a point at the bottom where that phoneme lives. Uh, right. And the question that I'll have to ask her and answer in the future is whether or not there's variation in the accents of Spanish uh, from place to place. She's on her way off to Buenos Aires where she's going to be doing some study abroad and uh, I know that she's been studying Spanish accents uh, as preparation to make sure that she's up to speed. Mm. So getting back, the 64 prime category is variable and it seems to be varying based on our distance from the culture uh, our distance, uh, whether or not we need to separate ourselves by anglicizing, whether we want to adopt this other pronunciation, and our best approximation, even if the original phoneme isn't exactly ah, sometimes we will choose an ah from our phonemic inventory in order to approximate the foreign pronunciation, so that we will say Quran in order to make it sound a little bit closer to the foreign word rather than saying Quran. And if we say Quran, we're perhaps self-consciously anglicizing the word, maybe to put some distance between us and that other, other language. Right. And sometimes that we can think of that as a mark of cultural fear, but we could also think of it as a sort of respect that uh, I'm going to pronounce it in English. I'm not going to make an attempt to do your language because I botch it. Right. Right. Yeah, I could see that. That's a logical... Yes, that's why we should suspect it, because logical explanations of language are probably wrong. <laughs> um, okay, let's uh, uh, remind people that um, some of these ah words, like photograph, yeah. right? Wh that, that photograph, I guess is that, that's a bath word, It's a bath word, word that's in variation uh, in RP. Uh, it's not an issue yeah. for me because trap and bath are merged, so photograph and photographic are identical. Right, uh, right. But it is a, a variable thing for people who make a bath distinction to say photograph right. and photographic. Right. That is, if they say photograph, because that one, I think, is in th free variation. Uh, I think mm. that's a, like, 59 prime. That's a, a weird one in the bath category. Right. Okay. Um, okay, so let's talk briefly about those words that have the L in them in the pronunciation that we sometimes get in the mid-Atlantic states, where yeah. the ah is quite bright, almond and palm and balm, um, which apparently makes palm, con you know, uh, that's one of the reasons why John Wells considered changing palm is because of its brightness in those mid-Atlantic states. Yes. Yeah. I, can, I can hear it in my mind's ear 
as that vowel, that more fronted, uh, brighter vowel, with or without an L, mm. uh, calm, calm, both of them seem like possibilities. Right. Uh, and it varies as well in the Midwest and West to a more rounded-backed version, again, with or without a post-vocalic L. So mm -hmm. I can imagine folks in Iowa saying calm, that is to say no tongue tip raising for the L, but maybe the velarization part of the L is adding to a, a sort of a rounded backish quality. Palm, calm. Or maybe even the same speaker might lift their tongue tip and say, palm, calm. Right. I think my wife does that. She varies between right. the two. Uh, and that's why when introducing this lexical set, as I did with some of my students just a couple of days ago, d confusion just effused out of them. Uh, just like in Trap and Bath, when we hit palm, in a way, it's a wonderful little explosion because they get confused at that moment and they reveal that they aren't understanding lexical sets and what they're for. Ah. Uh, because they start to say, that's not... Uh, I thought ah, palm was ah, and it's not ah, it's aw. And, and what they're doing is they're doing what I've been trying to avoid, which is to use the lexical set word as a stand-in for a particular sound rather than as the description of a whole category of words. Right. That we could imagine uh, a, an imaginary accent in which all palm words are pronounced oo. So you say poom, coom, it's not. There isn't an accent like that, but it's possible because we're talking about a category of words, not a specific pronunciation. Yes. It reminds me of the apples and bananas song, yes. right? E leek to eat, eeples and beninis, right? Indeed. I have had my nephew visiting, so I was singing that song for hours. It's endlessly <laughs> brilliant and entertaining. Uh, what else is on our, our list? Uh, essentially, uh, you've been responsible for recovering the hard drive of what we talked about. Yes. Um, well, that uh, one, one point that actually isn't on our list, but one thing that I wanted to talk about is that, you know, as I model this ah uh, sound for students and clients and, you know, in, in coaching mm -hmm. contexts, I find that I, I tend to model it... Um, if I was using the IPA chart, I would be putting the ah uh sound as far down in that corner as mm -hmm. I could squeeze it yeah. uh, to make a very open back sound, ah. Uh. Um, and I think that that is, um, you know, partly because I'm modeling for people. Yeah. Um, but there, there was an interesting thing the other day where I was coaching someone and their pronunciation, they were doing a start word with an English accent, uh, the word carbuncle, and uh, they said carbuncle. And I said, well, it needs to be more ah, carbuncle. Um, and she tried and tried to get the sound as back and down as I was getting it. And I came to the conclusion that her, mm, the space of her mouth did not allow her to get as much of an awe quality 
as I was able to get. Yeah. And uh, I, I just thought that was an interesting point of ma uh, to make. Also, that uh, I, I believe that when I first started coaching speech and accents, that my ah vowel was fronter than it is mm -hmm. now. And that by modeling that ah sound back to make it more distinct from other vowel sounds, I have pushed it into the corner. Yeah, that's ah. fascinating. One of the things we're doing in phonetics training is restaking the ground of the vowel chart and consonants as well. We're, we're saying, you can do more. Your mouth doesn't yeah. have to be limited to its configuration. But what we're also doing, and I think this is absolutely true, and I, I've heard myself doing it and plenty of others doing it, we tend to model things not at the target but past the target, yeah. uh, which is a good practice. I think Machiavelli talks about aiming high in order to hit your target. So uh, yes. <laughs> we're in good company. Uh, or Machiavelli, or is it Machiavelli? Uh, so we're trying to get people, we're trying to push them off of where they are. We're using what? We're using perceptions. We're using yeah. modeling. We're not going in there with our fingers and shifting their mouth around. We're not able to write down the mathematical formula to say, do it exactly this way. And so we are overshooting. We are uh, mismodeling, I guess. And that's terrific. We should do that. That's an, it's like trying to move things around by magnets rather than contact. Mm -hmm. right. However, we have to be really, really rigorous with ourselves to not start to believe that what we're modeling is the actuality. We need to yes. recheck in with mechanically what are the cardinal positions, what's really happening, uh, because it's very easy. And in terms of lot and cloth, this happens a lot, that uh, a lot, that we say to students, I'm saying generally American speech teachers say, no, don't say doctor, don't say lat, say doctor, lot. Not because we really want them to round it, <laughs> yeah. but because we want them to do other stuff. We want to go <laughs> in that direction. And that's yes. terrific. If it works, then that's exactly what we should do even though it can be very confusing for the student and create cognitive dissonance. But yes. worse, it can create misleading uh, thoughts in our own minds about what's really going on. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if that sound that we are modeling maps to another lexical set for the person we're trying to help yeah. out, the confusion that that, that can lead to is, is really detrimental because of that cognitive dissonance that you're talking about. Yes. Um, and I, I think um, I, I feel humbled the most when I'm working with people with a, an accent of English that I'm quite unfamiliar with. Yeah. And so I, I'm modeling something for them and they get this look on their face <laughs> like, that, surely you can't mean that because what they hear is something so radically different. Exactly. And, and what we're saying is just join me for a moment on the other side of that boundary territory. You get yes. to go back, but just push past your phonemic boundary for a moment. There was an example of this that, uh, that I think I mentioned last time in our uh, unrecorded session of, of a sound that struck me as being phonetically very, very different, but was 
that was only because of a confusion of phonemic categories. And that was a commercial for the toothpaste Aquafresh, uh, which for me is stably palm, Aquafresh. Uh, I might be labializing it a little bit, Aquafresh, but not, not much. Uh, what I heard this person who was speaking uh, RP, uh, uh, an RP of uh, somewhat confused and dubious nature that made me wonder if that was his native accent, uh, but he pronounced it as aquafresh. What I heard, because of the context of the RP, was that he was pronouncing it as though it were spelled A-R-K-wafresh, ark-wafresh. The, the effect of that non- rhodicized start vowel on RP is to lengthen it. And so what he was really doing was aquafresh. He was lengthening the ah past where it made sense to me, and I redefined it as an unspoken R in his accent. Interesting. And per perhaps he was going for that sound, ah, like the <laughs> yes. sigh of... Aquafresh, it's so invigorating. My other thought was that in his native accent, whatever it was, and perhaps it was Canadian doing his RP, that he thought that it was Aquafresh mm. and then was making on the fly an adjustment to what he was being told it was. Oh, not Aquafresh, Aquafresh. I'll use an ah there. Uh, Aquafresh. Whatever it was, the uh, uh, Procter & Gamble was happy with it, and it's on TV all over the place. So, <laughs> <laughs> It is worth pointing out that vowel length is controlled by the consonant that follows, and yes. in Aquafresh, because it's followed by that K, it should be quite a short ah by comparison to other ahs. Um, and if you're saying Aquafresh, it... You, it seems like you're making a point yes. in doing that. You're doing it for a reason. Well, at least you're pointing, if you're violating what my internal phonotactic sense says you should be doing, I think you're doing it for some other reason. And it may be for some other phonetic reason, for phonemic reason, that I think you're hearing an R in there. The, there's mm. a great example of this that uh, I, I know I talked about in the unrecorded session, and I'll see if I can resurrect it here. Uh, and. It was Tylee Ross, who's a person who's just taking some speech classes with Dudley and I, and that I know you know. He's a Canadian singer and actor. And uh, he was in New York City, uh, and his, his North American accent is, has some Canadian features maybe, but is definitely in the regular old North American camp. He was in Brooklyn, I'll make that up, and uh, he met another person with a dog, uh, he asked the dog's name, and the dog's name, the guy said, was Bonobus. Uh, he repeated it back. Oh, Bonobus? Now, for you and me, Eric, the, I hear that as though it were spelled B-O-N-A-B-U-S, Bonobus. Uh, Bonobus. Uh, it's short, and it's a lot word, uh, Bonobus. It's a weird name, but, you know, it's a dog. See, to me, that's a very familiar name. Uh, Barnabas. Well, exactly. So you have so a place perhaps. to put it. But you would definitely lengthen it. <laughs> so for whatever reason, this guy was saying, Bonobus, Bonobus. Bonobus. Now, what Tylee did was he repeated it back with the accuracy that you would expect, Bonobus. The guy says, no, Bonobus. And they do this, like who's on first, back and forth, Bonobus, 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 until Tylee says, Barnabas? And for the non-rhotic speaker of the owner of 
the dog, he needed to hear Tylee say it with an R to know that right. Tylee had understood the lexical set properly. Uh, that if Tylee was saying Barnabas, he was spelling it with an O. And he had to say Barnabas to know that it was spelled with an R, even though the pronunciation is Barnabas. Uh, and that was an event, as Tyler described it to me, of uh, phonemic boundaries or lexical sets in cognitive dissonance and then slipping into understanding. Right, right. Uh, I think it's a beautiful Yeah, because example. the person, the dog owner knew that Tylee had an R in his speech, as it were. So when Tylee was saying Bonobus, clearly he didn't understand what was exactly. meant. Exactly. If Tylee had said, hey, how you doing? Uh, what's your dog's name? He would have said Bonobus. Bonobus? Yeah. And that would have been the, Bonobus. End, of the, would have been the end of the conversation. <laughs> yes, interesting. It's the same, same story, essentially, that you told about uh, the person in the pub, right? Uh, about yeah, uh, uh, where's the R in grass? Right. Uh, our under uh, a non-rhotic speaker's understanding of bath, palm, and start, which we haven't talked about yet, although we'll have to repeat this when we get to that episode, is tied up around the idea of an R that isn't really pronounced. Yes, uh, and you know there are a number of voice books written by English um, voice coaches where they list vowel sounds to use as part of a warm-up and they will represent the ah sound by writing AR. Yeah. And when I first encountered these books, <laughs> I was flummoxed. I was like, why on earth would they be putting R and er in these lists? Uh, <laughs> you know, A, E... I O R. Yes. It just made no sense to me, and uh, uh, I really wasn't bright enough at that point <laughs> to to figure out that they meant ah. Oh. Uh, it was it was really quite humorous, and it, it was surprising to me when I finally figured it out that they didn't think globally yeah. when they wrote their book. That they didn't sort of say, well, for those people somewhere else you would want to think something else. Um, and, and the other possibility is that ah could be represented, that vowel ah could be represented without writing ar. Yeah. Well, the, the problem of not having phonetics causes a lot of that confusion because you're it already does. dealing with flexible and interrelated and confusing uh, representation. So... I think that it's great. I love it when you tell stories, and maybe a little bit when I tell stories about mistakes. Uh, mm. When when we, who are, you know, meant to be experts in this field, can say that we screwed it up or that we had misperceptions, even when we had misperceptions last week that we've now fixed, it gives me an awful lot of empathy for those students who are staring at me blank-faced, uh, or asking yes. questions that I just answered. Uh, it's not because they're dim. It's because this is complicated stuff, fraught with confusion. Yes. Yes, I, I really do make a, a point of thanking my students who make mistakes yeah. because it, it gives us a great opportunity to discuss the thinking that causes it because ultimately that's what we want to get to. Yeah. 
uh, is the thinking behind it. Um, you know, uh, I think there's really only one thing left that we have yet to talk about, and that is that in North America, mostly um, the palm and lot flexical sets are merged. Yeah. And that there are two distinct regions of the United States where palm and lot are not merged, and that's New York and Boston. Um, and that yeah. a lot of people find it difficult to differentiate New York and Boston, and that was one of the things that led you and I to do that talk at um, mm -hmm. the, uh, the, that was at New York, right? Vasta, at Vasta, Vasta uh, in, in New York, <laughs> that we did a chat about that. Uh, and um, New York says palm as a back vowel, but lot, more like lot, a more fronter yeah. version of it, whereas Boston does palm, a more forward sound, and lot, a more back version. And that's one yeah. of the f yeah. few differences between those two accents. Um, I mean, it's interesting to think about what the merger of a category is, that, that, that those lexical sets are realized in some accents in a way that is the same. There's still, in some way, a distinct category. That's why they have their own label to them, because right. they represent some sort of potential difference. Even if in a particular accent, they're pronounced the same. Uh, I think about this when I think about trap and bath, uh, there's, there's still two distinct lexical set categories, even though I'm realizing them both in the same way. The output is merged, uh, and my perception of it is merged, I suppose. Uh, I think about this when my students are, uh, are looking at... Well, I have a lot of students who lot, thought, and cloth are pretty close, right? but they're not completely the same. The output is very similar, but there's still a possibility of finding, getting your fingernails underneath the distinction, even within that student's own consciousness. Uh, in the case of, of Palm, uh, a New Yorker or a Bostonian might have a better chance of pulling those apart because they can hear them as distinct. Whereas an Iowan uh, might have might suspect that the teacher is pulling their leg. Right. Similarly, when we get to lot and cloth in our next vowel episode, probably two episodes down the road, um, uh, we'll be struggling with learning how to identify cloth words because yeah. so many North Americans uh, don't differentiate them. Excellent. Well, that's a good teaser for what's to come. Mm -hmm. I think uh, our next episode will be on a consonant and or a consonant pair, a mm -hmm. pair of cognates. Uh, and I think we'll do shh and zh. Terrific. So uh, it'll be a very quiet episode. <laughs> Good. I'll, so, I'll, I'll uh, practice that. Excellent. So uh, uh, it's been fun, yeah. as always. Terrific. Thank you very much. And I just want to remind everybody, if you want to contact us, the best way to do it is through glossonomia at gmail.com. You can send us an email or you could record something and send it to us and we can use that recording on the show. So we look forward to hearing from you. I, I actually want to, to pump that up again. I'm very interested in getting from listeners, all three of you, 
questions that are real nuts and puzzles that we would have to go and do some research about. Uh, I, th I think that it would be a lot of fun to be able to devote an episode or two to answering your questions. So if there are things that you really want us to dig into, uh, let us know. Set a challenge for us. We'd be happy to, to go and research. Sure, and we love your own little anecdote about yeah. how this sound or this lexical set has been a challenge for you or somebody said something funny with an ah sound. Yes. Uh, we, we'd love to hear that. Great. So, uh, you know, it's all about community. Um, we also have our, our podcast available through iTunes, and if you uh, enjoy the show, you could put a little uh, recommendation on the iTunes comments section and that perhaps might get us to the point where iTunes can start to recommend us to other people. We need a certain um, weight, enough comments that they'll yeah. start to allow those comments to be seen. And we haven't yet got to that point. So if you enjoy the show and feel like it, you could make a comment in the iTunes Frankly, store. if you hate the show, that would help too. Leave a rant there. That, that would be yes. fine. We'd love that. Okay. Well, uh, it's been fun, and we'll talk to you anon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.